Hey legends, welcome to the Virtus Performance Podcast. This is episode number 14. Today I sat down with Katie Gray of Holistic Endurance. Katie is a triathlon and long distance endurance coach, a former PT. She's someone who loves diving into the depths of hormones, the endocrine system, into nutrition, into gut health, and into how we can best create a holistic environment for our athletes. So she's a, a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of support for myself and the rest of the Virtus team and the Virtus family and all of her athletes, um, all of her endurance athletes that she coaches. So this was thoroughly enjoyable and I certainly got a lot out of it. Hopefully you guys learned a lot too. Enjoy. My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Katie Gray, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. Super, super exciting to have you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I am an endurance coach, triathlete, I try to be, and uh, wife to Mick Gray, mum to two border collies, moved to the peninsula about three years ago, business owner. What else? That's a lot. Yeah. It's plenty. Tell me a little bit about being a coach and being an, an endurance coach. What does it involve? First of all, it's I've found my bliss, which I think is pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's a, a lifetime passion for me now. You know, it started out as a hobby of my own in terms of being an age group triathlete. And coaching became this side gig where I had my other full-time jobs where I they were, I guess, my career, and yep. that involves strength and conditioning, personal training, sales and marketing, and gym management. And it was an odd thing for me to fall into because I don't fall into things. I set goals and I, yeah. <laughs> and I chase them. I haven't realised that at all. No, not at all. No one pick up, would pick up on that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've set goals since I was very young, and I think I would have been 14 or 15 when I set the goal of I'll own a gym, I'll run a gym, that's my that's my thing. Yeah, and cool. I said about that. So as, you knew that all, as, the, all the way, all mm, the time back then. As soon as I left school, I went about that, did my degree in exercise science, and that goal was achieved very rapidly, and then I just kept putting bigger goals in front of myself in regards to growing in the fitness industry. Yeah. So to fall in to coaching that had nothing to do with being in a gym or running a gym or anything along that line was really interesting and I didn't intend to be a coach full-time it literally just happened and I think that's, that's really cool. been the best part about it. it took me by surprise and I can't imagine it any other way now that's awesome that's awesome tell me about back when you used to run gyms and would coach as a PT and what kind of drew you from that lifestyle to the lifestyle of being a, a coach, an endurance coach? Yeah, because I was and am so driven, 
it can, it's a blessing and a curse. Definitely. And what I found was even though I was super successful and doing very well, getting great results with my clients, I got to love and enjoy what I did on a daily basis, which sometimes it's easy to forget that that's a rarity. Yeah. Uh, I was definitely burning myself out in hindsight. I did not know that at the time. So I went about studying my degree. I worked two to three jobs through that entire degree. And then in the final year, I thought it would be smart to work full-time and study full-time. So that was interesting. Uh, I was also a massive party animal and an athlete. So you can imagine it was a massive recipe for disaster. And uh, after those years in uni, I was running my PT business in Paran and uh, was well into the triathlon scene by then, had dabbled in um, a couple of my PT clients that wanted to do triathlons and helping them. And I had joined a triathlon club for the first time, even though I'd done tries by myself for six years I did an injury snowboarding and wanted camaraderie and a group and I was introduced to this whole new world of of tri clubs and I was introduced by a friend of mine and he was an amazing influence in my life and he was a coach at that club or he became a coach and then a couple of years into being there he was uh, in an accident on Beach Road and hit by a truck and he was killed on that day. So he was always in my ear about working too hard, working too much. Yep. And I was like, nah, man, I've got goals. And, and I was so driven by that income and the prestige and people recognising what I did yep. and having this amazing business. And it took his death to shake me up and go, wow, life truly is... What am I doing this for? Way too short. And he wasn't the only one in my life telling me that. I've got a, um, an amazing brother and best friend who's very similar to him and was also that influence in my life of you need to chill out, and have yep. some fun and relax. <laughs> You're 23, yep. calm the F down. Yep. And, yeah, so I let my whole business go. And I what was that like? That was big. Yeah, that would have been tough. Like a massive ego step of, and fear financially and yep. lots of different things going through my mind. I'd also met my now husband, so that was a big shake-up of, oh, I don't want to work all the time. I don't want to come home at 10 o'clock because there's someone there yep. that I want to be with. Awesome. And that was also a big factor. And I never pictured that for myself. I was just going to be this independent woman, never fall in love, never get married, et cetera, et cetera. But he changed all that. Awesome. Uh, So I took a salary-based PT job managing two studios in the city, Rialto Towers, and that was another reminder of work balance. So the three directors there were a great inspiration in terms of how to live authentically as a personal trainer and not be this role model of fitness that's just burning the candle at all ends Super for the sake of making other people he- healthy but what about me yeah and they were all uh, really balanced in work life they were surfers very chilled out like complete opposite and it really shone a mirror up for me and they really challenged me because i was essentially <laughs> working harder than them i'm like this is their business there's three of them and I'm doing more than the three of them combined they were encouraging me to slow down and do less I was like 
what? I don't get this. Maybe there's something to it. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, it took me long enough, but I got there and I embraced it and that was life-changing. That was um, set up new habits for how I wanted to live my life and my goals became very different. It's like, yep. okay, well, what I want to do and how I do it has to be centred around life balance as fluffy as that term sounds balance is a 50 50 to me and yeah all my goals since then have been based around when was that that give me a little bit of sense of of timeline what are we 2017 now that would have been 2011 2012 yeah cool Hmm. what was what was the first steps you took when you made that shift from being busy to lifestyle yeah working less doing more for myself not being driven by others perception expectations and expectations and this prestige and I think triathlon had a big influence on me in that way in that I finally found this community where it was okay to just be me and who I was. And I was like, oh, so there are other people like me out there. (laughs) (laughs) And I can be my innate tomboy and I don't have to put on high heels and dresses every weekend and party in an environment that really doesn't feel comfortable to me. And, you know, lycra and cycling shoes became my norm for the weekends. Um, But it still took me a while to learn my lesson and... A couple of years later, I fell in a massive hole of physical burnout from yep. all the training. I didn't know any different. So you've just gone from smash yourself at work, smash yes. yourself at training and struggled to find that balance yeah. in something else. That, so that came to a head in the end of 2014. Talk me, me through that. I had my first ever DNF. So at that point I'd done a DNF is a did not finish. Yeah. I had done over 50 triathlons. Snarly. And I had... Up until that point, literally improved every single race. Not many people do that. It's usually an ebb and flow up and down. So for me, I didn't know any different, and there was this expectation of improve, 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 improve. And there was sort of six months worth of serious warning signs. So there were warning signs. Oh, I reckon there's been warning signs for 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you really look at it. (laughs) It's a combination of so many things. It takes a little while to actually look at those warning signs and take, take note of them. You know, I could have easily blamed solely my coach at the time or uh, my work, nutrition, whatever it was. There were so many things I could blame, but really it's a holistic approach when it comes to we'll talk about that one. cultivating we'll talk about that one. Um, or, or finding a solution. Yeah. Uh, so leading into that DNF, I had no motivation to get up and train. There was a lot of apathy. There was a lot of emotional fragility lots of tears like sitting on a wind trainer riding and crying yeah. and doing it anyway riding on the bike for seven hours and crying in the rain not super sustainable no or healthy or happy or when you're all in, those things when you're in an environment where everyone else is doing that yeah. you don't know any different yeah. and I got sucked in yeah. yeah and I it's amazing because I see it all the time and I do go how did I know how I did that but at the same time, I don't. It's really interesting when you've had those experiences and now you can look back and you've probably got athletes who mm. start to delve into the same same cycles and things like that. And you're like, please stop, please listen. I've mm. been there. As a coach on that front, I have learned there's only so much I can 
tell people they really do have to come to that on their own. I can guide them. But for me to simply say, you're on the path to burnout, you need to pull back. That's not going to cut it. Yeah, It's little things and and just giving them the advice when they need it and when when they ask for it. But at the end of the day, it's it's up to them to make their own decisions and figure it out themselves. Yeah, 100%. And look, at the end of the day, that hole that I fell in and that DNF was what I needed to create a shift. So had someone tried to protect me from that, I wouldn't have learnt what I've learnt and I wouldn't have gone down the path that I've gone down. So it was absolutely meant to happen no matter how hard it was. So the swim was fine, but I got on the bike in that race and just felt heavy and horrible. I got two flats, had never had a flat in a race. And then uh, 10 minutes into the run, I I was hating it. I was like, I do this sport for fun. Yeah. I was miserable yeah. and I ran past Mick, husband, and I was like, I'm out. It wasn't even a, yeah. I didn't even have to toy with Did the you decision. Fight, so you didn't fight the decision? No. Nah, I hadn't even thought about it on the bike. It was just, this doesn't feel right. Everything, I've never felt so much pain in my legs and my glutes and fatigue and sluggishness ever in my life. And that's with a lot of experience yeah. and a lot of sporting history. So... Yeah, there was just no hesitation. I'm like, I need to pull out. This is this is not right. Yeah. There was a lot of tears that followed that day, a debrief with coach. Um, what wasn't helpful at the time but definitely drives me as a coach now was I had expressed concern in the lead-up to that race with my coach. I'm yeah. tired, I'm fatigued, I can't get out of bed, really struggling mood, etc. Hormones out of whack. I proposed a few ideas and... He was like, nah, you got a motivation issue. Get on with yeah, it. Yeah, so it didn't, didn't look any deeper. No. Yeah. And so, safe to say, we bro- broke up after that race. Yeah. But I still learn a lot from him. Yeah. And it does drive a lot of my decisions as a coach these days. Thereafter, a couple of months later, I found an, another amazing coach who was a huge inspiration and had a massive impact on my career as a coach. There's a few patterns here. So he started coaching me three months after that DNF and I had gone about healing and rebalancing and researching in that time for what was going on with me in terms of adrenal exhaustion, burnout, overtraining syndrome and the um, hormone balance side of things as well. Yep. With a keen interest in physiology, it wasn't, um, wasn't a hard thing to do. Yeah. I loved it. It wasn't a chore. You actually looked yep. forward to learning and, and things like that. So this new coach gave me new strategies around training, stripping back intensity, stripping back volume, and opened my eyes to a a different way of doing things, which felt so right. And I'd moved to the peninsula, and there was just more balance, more nature. The burnout was so significant that I actually had to stop work for six months. Far out. So there was a big financial strain and and, um, sacrifice there. And that's why I feel very passionate about preventing other athletes in going into that position because the stress it had on me and Mick was immense. But it was what I needed to do. And in that time, I because I wasn't working, I had the time, sometimes had the brain function, to do the research. And I started a wall of post-it notes and that's what started the framework to my ebook. Um, at that point during the, the burnout period started to work again and was working with that coach towards my first Ironman and 
It was a couple months in and he said to me, <clears throat> Katie, you don't need me. I'm stepping away. No. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm my going, coach. <laughs> I'm going into my first Ironman. Yeah. I need you, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> said you don't give yourself enough credit you know yourself better than anyone you've done the research you've done the work i've guided you you can do this on your own it's really cool i was like i was so taken aback but by setting me free he did me a, a huge service in yeah. terms of my coaching career it's amazing humility from his part to oh. be able to step away that's his um biggest character actually trait and yeah, by setting me free, it was just this confidence um, in my ability to coach myself and coach others that I just, I catapulted from there on in and I just needed that. Is that what started Holistic Endurance? Is that the... Yeah. Awesome. Really yeah, cool. so Holistic Endurance is the, my coaching business that started with just a couple of athletes. Originally, it was actually called Peninsula Triathlon Coaching. I like Holistic Endurance better. <laughs> totally. It's a little, catch, it's a little catchier. <laughs> and then... I started attracting athletes Australia-wide, mainly because of the content I was putting out there with my ebook, Healing the Grumpy Athlete, and sharing my story and experiences. And so that shaped how I now coach, which is that I've got athletes Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and it doesn't matter. I've got an amazing relationship with all of them, irrespective of where they live. And I learned that that was one of my key skills was developing relationships without being face-to-face and being yeah. able to impact people. And tough, tough key. Mm, yeah. Didn't have to be super close. And there are limitations to that, and that's where key referrals come into place, having a good functional movement specialist to refer to, out to face-to-face because that's one of the key things for technique work or bike fit. Yeah. So that's the premise of what I do. It's personalised coaching, utilising online platforms and constant communication. So I don't step into the world of template programs at all. Good. Very, (laughs) very, very good. Has, I guess, the goal when you started Holistic Endurance, has that changed over the last two, three years? Mm. And how has it changed, if so? I've got my vision brainstorm of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> from when it first started yeah I, I reflect back on that and it's cool to look at it isn't it it's very yeah. cool I found, um, I found ours a couple of weeks ago yeah and as much as in my head i was like my instinct to answer to that question is yeah to change heaps yeah but when i look back at it the essence and the core is the same and that has always been to inspire change in the endurance community culture around developing athletes that are robust for the long term especially at a high performance level i might not coach the high performance athletes that are on their way to the olympics but if i can influence the coaches who do coach them all those athletes to seek out more information and be their own advocate for health rather than just getting thrown up against a wall and see who survives that's my (laughs) ultimate goal yeah yeah and i can see how passionate you are about allowing athletes to look after themselves and to, I guess, empower them to, to learn and educate themselves rather than just being, yeah, the ones that just, let's see who can last the longest and yeah. who can stay in one piece. And it goes actually beyond just athletic endeavours and performance. Yeah. Because when I say athletes, I do just mean anyone. Everyone's an athlete. Everyone's an Everyone's athlete. Everyone's just a different event. Yeah. Yeah. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond, it goes into life and instilling these 
beliefs, behaviours and habits that set your life up for the long term and wellness and health. Yep. So, yeah, not working yeah, well, 70 hour plus <laughs> weeks, etc. <cetera. laughs> Don't tell me that. There's, I'll there, get to you later. Yeah. There, is a, there is a big, I guess, gap for most people when they think sport and life. Mm-hmm. But as we know as coaches, that couldn't be closer together because like, everything that you're able to do in sport or in training or in movement it just reflects onto your life. And I think when you start making those hard decisions around doing those extra sessions and looking after yourself with nutrition and sleeping a little bit more and not working 70 hour weeks, then that allows everything else to work a little bit better. And um, I think that's the best thing that I've probably learned off you and Holacy Endurance is just looking at everything from, yeah, outside your bubble and allowing you to look at all the different factors yeah if you can't fill yourself up there's no way you're going to be able to fill up anyone else yeah. and that's what I was trying to do for so many years as a personal trainer and it drained the life out of me like mental health was horrendous and yeah. I couldn't recognise it at the time one of my favourite quotes by Mark Buckley yes is you can't give what you haven't got and you can't share what you haven't experienced mm-hmm. Why was experiencing everything you've experienced so important for you as a developing coach? It gets shone up as a mirror to me quite frequently and it often comes up when I'm feeling frustrated or stuck, which is great. And what it reminds me of is that I've gone through my own struggles and challenges for a reason and for a purpose and the athletes that come into holistic endurance come for a reason and it's not just about me helping them, they help me too. They really teach me lessons and help me see meaning in all the shite that I've gone through. Uh, So they really respect that relatedness of been in the hole I've come out of the hole I've gone back into the hole and not learnt my lesson and come out of that again I've had the injuries and the niggles and the struggles and had to be this really strong advocate for my own health and injury prevention and management and not just listen to and take one person's word like yeah you know what I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper to that and get my own answers because What I've learned through coaching and with myself is no one individual's solution will be the same. And same with training programs. They're yeah. never, I don't think, no. they should no, be the I, same. I agree, I agree. And, you know, the more, you, like, the further I fall into those rabbit holes of nutrition and training and medication and all those mm-hmm. different things, the more you realise that everyone's response to the same stuff is going to be different. So we're all going to adapt slightly differently to the same stimulus. So if we treat everyone like they're exactly the same and they're not going to have the same response and we're going to be end up with some people that respond really well some people that don't respond at all and some people that respond negatively and i think the sooner we realize that there are many roads that lead to rome and there's many ways to to skin a cat and things like that kp always cracks it when i, when I use that saying <laughs> sorry um but when we realize there's a thousand different ways to do these things we've it allows us, or empowers us to find the way that's best for us. Um, and yeah, the way you train is going to be different than the way I train. The way you prepare is going to be different than the way I prepare. But everyone thinks there's a one magic size fix all or a magic bullet or a quick fix and things like that. And it's just, it doesn't work. And I think that's where there's a great message for anyone, let alone athletes. 
is comparisonitis is not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Because what the person is doing next to you might be working for them. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't work for you. Hmm. But it's something that I've started to, I guess, dive into a little bit more about physiology is our physiology isn't all that, always, like my physiology isn't the same today as it will be in three weeks or three months. So what I need to eat today and what I need to put in my body today and what training I need to do today is going to be completely different or maybe completely different or at least a little bit different to what I'm going to do in three months. So I think that's where it starts to get a little bit deeper and a little bit more confusing because, well, what's right for me now is not what might be right for me down the track. Which... Yeah, and if you reverse that, which I think is super interesting, is how you feel now isn't a product of what you did or ate perhaps an hour ago or a day ago or a week ago. Yeah. Different mechanisms of our physiology take time to develop. Uh, so if I use, because it's my hormone nerd expertise, <laughs> if I use the menstrual cycle as an example, if someone's having a, a crappy period of PMS and cramping, it's probably what they were doing or eating or drinking or um, not doing three months ago that has led to that cycle because yep. that follicle takes three months to develop. And, and skin is however many weeks of development. And so someone might break out in pimples and go, oh, it was the chocolate I ate yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys, it doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. it. But then it's, it just throws so many more factors and, and variables into the melting pot, which is no wonder people are so confused and people are so up in the air about what to do and how to do it. It doesn't have to be confusing, but no. I get why it is. Yeah, yeah. definitely. What are the, let's go back to business business talk for a little bit. What are the main mistakes you've made in setting up your business and running a business and what have you learned from them? And as a business owner myself, there's, you could answer that question a thousand times. Yeah. Sure. Trying to think of the key ones. I can tell you there's been plenty. Yeah. Overriding not having enough faith and trust in myself. Yeah. That would override any um, small poor decision, large poor decision. It all comes back to that. Not having enough trust and faith in myself and going after it regardless. And taking detours from what feels right in my gut and my instinct and not listening. That's where poor decisions come from. When do you know it's the right time to pull the trigger? I've got a very strong instinct. Yeah. So it's that. Yeah. Let's make sure I listen to it. Yeah. And where there's a opportunity and a presence of calm. Yeah, that's when you know it's all right. right time. Yeah, I can't. I don't feel it's right for me to t- make large decisions in the presence of major stress. Yeah. That's where poor decisions are made. That's good. For me. I like that. Like that. Are you busy at the moment? Yes, very. Busy good? I don't like the word busy. I don't like to glorify it. And so the fact that I even just said that I'm super busy is a rarity for me. So when someone says, how are you super busy? I usually say, no, I'm not because I don't like to buy into that. I'm in a unique... Yeah, I asked you yesterday and you said yes. I was like, yes, I'll ask it tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a unique position at the moment uh, in that I am genuinely busy and that's okay and that's what I need to do for the business right now. Uh, Our key, one of our key head coaches has just had a baby, which is incredible. 
but obviously workload goes up. Yeah. I've known about it for nine months, so that's okay. You can only prepare so much. Yeah, and yeah, it's just hitting me at the moment. Uh, I also know it'll be short term. It just means I need to turn up my self-care and I've put quite a few steps in place of things that, one, I need to let go during this period so that, yes, my workload's increased, but other areas have to come down. Yeah. And I've, yeah, I've stretched myself and I've been more flexible with a few things. Yeah, good. Particularly training. Yeah. I've just had to let my key goals go for a little bit and that's a choice that felt right and is, an okay, is totally okay with me because, yes, I could train the 10 to 15 hours required to get me strong and yeah. fit for this event that I want to do. But it'll knock you, knock you down for the Plus rest of the Plus do all this extra work and continue to build the business and live up to every other role in my life, but I'm not silly enough Is to make that mistake 10 times. Yeah. yeah, good, good. So you're learning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good. What, what is the training goal? Where, where are you headed now? I did my Ironman three years ago and I've essentially been on my comeback tour ever since and it's yeah. been a bloody rocky road. It has not been smooth. It hasn't come together as I would have liked. It's very easy to reflect on it negatively because I haven't achieved the goal of coming back to long course racing, so that's yeah. half Ironman and above. Yeah. But if I draw on it and I really look at it, there's heaps and heaps of positives because I have learnt a lot in that time and I've come a long way personally and physically, particularly on an injury front. I'm a different athlete on a strength and power front. I'm a completely different athlete thanks to you guys. And so I have this innate knowing and feeling that when I'm ready and the opportunity presents itself, I will be able to express my athletic potential better than I ever have before. So there is that deep knowing there's no fear around that or like what if I don't or what if, what if, what if. I don't have that because I know the recipe I need to get me there happy, healthy, strong, fit to execute that. And I also know that my greatest strength is my mental fortitude uh, in racing. It's probably been a a lesson in resilience Mm. the last three years. Yeah. It's really funny. For all of the athletes, and, and when I say athlete again, I mean everyone. Yeah, everyone. For everyone listening, what are your training principles? What are the principles you try and follow? Holistic principles. Yeah. What that means is encompassing many areas. It's not just about swim, bike, run, or heading out for a training session. It's the recovery protocols afterwards and what are they, what works for you, and the accountability and management of that. It's lifestyle factors like mindfulness practice, breathing, and work-life balance, going to the movies, having fun, laughter, date nights, yeah. all those sorts of things. Looking out to yourself. Yeah. It's about making a, your training program work for you, not against you. So I'm a really big believer that when I deliver a program, it's based around an athlete's work or life schedule. So if they let me know they've got a, a wedding, I'll literally program around it. Have three days off, yeah. enjoy yourself, and we'll you know increase load leading in, so it becomes an adaptation and it actually becomes a useful time. Uh, or working late one night, put extra practices in place to de-stress from that. Like if I run seminars. Um, they're usually of an evening and I know that if I don't put practices in place, I will not go to sleep. Yeah. And I've been under bright lights, yeah. I've been talking, cortisol, day. adrenaline. 
So I need to put extra practices in place to, to de-stress. So that's part of it. Then there's the functional movement and strength and conditioning that I'm a big advocate for for endurance athletes done the right way. Yep. Then you've got the, the more sophisticated side of it that we encompass is utilising your hormones, and this goes, goes for males and females, to your advantage and looking at hormone health for performance and also performance for hormones, so not ruining yourself in the pursuit of, of performance. And then there's the, the physiology side of it, um, which is just a formula. Yeah. It's really cool. That needs to be applied to the individual. Talk to me a little bit about cortisol and stress and, and the main <laughs> issues with people either overtraining or overworking or under-recovering or whatever term you want to use. Mm. What are the main issues that come with that? So hormones. cortisol being a stress hormone yeah. uh, gets released in four different environments or situations. And... What they are is they can it, that stress can be perceived, actual, physical, or mental. Yep. So it's four, that four combination. So it could be a training session, it could be a fight, it could be a meeting, it could be general anxiety. You could be lying on a beach thinking about something that's stressing you out, and that's still a physiological response that's going to produce cortisol. Yep. Which is why I remember when I discovered Virtus actually, and legs up the wall. In the last five minutes was part of the program. I was like, yeah. I'm sold. This is yeah. brilliant. These guys know what they're doing. Yeah. That is king because training releases that spike in cortisol. We need to balance it out before we go on and have coffee, which increases cortisol. Rush to exactly. a meeting, raises cortisol. Look after kids and yell at them, raises cortisol. And it's just, lives, raises cortisol. Yeah. <laughs> just pummels us. So if we can take these moments to breathe, be present and slow down, that is king because we can't change stress. Stress is going to be part of our lives. Stress is a good thing yeah. if we look at it as a good thing. It's all about perception. Correct. And that cortisol response, if it keeps getting demanded on, it will eventually go, uh-uh, I can't keep up with this high demand of stress that you're trying to put on me. Yeah. I'm going to have to start slowing down in other areas. That's what your body's saying. And so it might downregulate hormones or gut function or immune function or something to make you slow the F down, whether you get sick or you get tired or you sleep through your alarm. Or you get an injury. That's injury, big, yeah. It keeps niggling or something like those. Yeah, there will be signs. Um, for females, it will be uh, PMS or irregular cycles or other hormonal symptoms and guys can experience the same and drop in testosterone and all the things that come with that like lack of libido and lack of mojo so it's really just being in tune and with modern life I think the biggest thing is people are too busy to be in tune yeah they don't stop and think about how they actually feel what they ate what they did yeah. they're not present Definitely. that's a big part of it and so with that uh, depletion or the demand on cortisol, there, there's a big fallout in many areas, but it will show up differently in each athlete or each person. And you know, the first step is awareness, second step is testing. Without testing, you're guessing. So it has to be done on pathology testing um, to develop a plan from there on in and make sure you've got some holistic practitioners in your corner. Yeah, why is that objective data so important to any? athlete or human yeah I mean why do you find why do you think it's so important 
one, to not guess, physiology is complex yeah. and it's so individual. We can't make assumptions just based on the list of some symptoms. Yeah. We just can't. It's dangerous. And just because someone's showing up with a list of symptoms might not mean that X is going on in their body and I, we have to find that out first because if you put interventions in place that work against that, it can be yeah. dangerous. And if we don't have that data, we can't tell if those inter, uh, those interventions have actually yeah. improved or... Yeah, you've got nothing to work with. You don't know if all the effort you're putting in is working. Uh, it's like when you get under the bar and test your, your PBs, your 1RMs. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Benchmarks, it's a diff- right? different way of measure, different thing to measure. So it's the psychology of it too. Like let's say the testing is re- in relation to health and wellness for a nutritional protocol. Helps that buy-in and motivation through the process yeah. of, oh, cool, everything I've been doing is working and on a physiological level, yeah, it's changing. You get to see the needle move. Yeah. Even if it isn't just on a piece of paper or... Yeah, inflammatory markers like down, gut function up, whatever it is, and you'll feel it, but it is nice to have that yep. that data to back it up. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me about the importance of strength training for, for endurance. Mm. Why is it so important for yeah, long course and short course triathletes and endurance athletes to be strong? Well, while we're on the topic of the cortisol release, I find that when you integrate strength and conditioning into an endurance athletes program one you don't have to program as much volume so it decreases the training load for swim bike run yeah without compromising performance Which in is any way reduce your likelihood of injury and overuse and all those kind of yeah, things yeah exactly then you decrease the cortisol demand because your volume's lower you're developing power and strength in the gym so there's less of a need to spend time at threshold, which is where the oxidative stress and damage can be done in athletes when they spend too much time Definitely. at that. So that's one element is the hormone balance because strength and conditioning also elicits that testosterone response, which works inversely with um, cortisol, so it helps balance that relationship out. Yep. Um, but further to that, it's the mobility, it's the functional movement, to be robust and prevent injuries and, and, and breaking down, which is absolutely the, the most common thing that gets in the way of a triathlete or endurance yeah. athlete's success. Well, it's just teaching far. patterns and teaching efficiency, which if you're, I don't know how many steps you've taken a marathon, but if you're taking 50,000. Yeah, if you're taking 50, Greg will tell you off the bat. He would, he would know that. But if you're taking 50,000 steps and we can make every step that, that little bit more efficient, it adds up significantly over a long period of time. And funnily enough, I knew this, right? Like I'm a personal trainer. I've done <laughs> exercise science and here I was doing triathlons and not doing my strength training for, yeah. for years. And that was incongruent. So once I figured that out and got back into it, it was great. And then coming to Virtus and lifting heavy and legs up the wall and just bringing all that those hormone balancing components into strength and conditioning. I was in my heaven and I did the uh, FMA with Mark Buckley back in 2010. Uh, and that also shaped the way I, I lift yep. and move and work with my athletes as well. So also, yeah, I'm usually looking for an FMA or an FMS practitioner to refer them out to to give them a, yeah. a solid foundation. Yeah, because then we've got, got our baseline, we've got our objective mm-hmm. data to utilise at the start. Um, for all the endurance athletes that are listening, there are lots of different ways to get strong, mm-hmm. and I think too many coaches fall into the trap of, hey, my way is the best way. There's a lot of different ways to get strong, but to simplify it, there's kind of three ways we can improve our strength. We either 
move a maximal weight slowly with the intent to move it fast. We move a lighter weight super quick. Um, those two ways, they're more a neuromuscular adaptation. So we get our nervous system and our muscular system working together. And then the third way is kind of your classic stock standard three sets of 10 bodybuilding approach, which is your repeat effort method or your fatigue method, which can still improve strength, but it's not as quite as efficient because strength, I guess everyone in here will know that it's a neuromuscular um, adaptation. It's not just a muscular adaptation. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things that as soon as we get endurance runners that don't do a lot of strength work, we get them in and, and get them moving heavier, heavier loads that they, they might not be used to it's a completely different type of adaptation. So your body just goes, hey, this is different. We've got to, we've got to mix this up. We've got to change the way we adapt. Otherwise, we're not going to get better and, and we're not going to improve. Um, I see the results coming thick and fast when an athlete shifts to that approach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, is it, do you think it's, a, it's an education thing in the triathlete, triathlon community, in the endurance community? Do you think yeah, it's getting better? Yeah, unfortunately, it's not common. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like it's getting better. More people... more. Uh, consumers athletes are asking the question what about strength and conditioning for athletes so it's coming up there's definitely a lack of knowledge on with coaches so that's one of my missions (laughs) one off where are we with you (laughs) um yeah i had the most common conversation i have with triathletes that have designed their own program or got it from somewhere where they're using say high rep minimal rest it's essentially well, endurance, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I say, well, your swim bike running ten to twelve hours with a focus on aerobic endurance. Why do you need to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of reps <laughs> to build more endurance? Yeah, exactly, you don't. Exactly. You want to focus on neuromuscular adaptation, strength, and power. Yeah. Which yeah. is much harder, or takes longer to develop if you're swim bike running. Yeah. Of course, of course. But uh, like as we know, the research shows, and I can share some some mm. studies and things like that in the in the notes in the podcast. But if we just train for endurance, versus if we train for endurance and strength training at the same time, your endurance will be better if we have that strength training adaptation as well, because you're more efficient, because your recovery is going to be quicker, because you're going to be stronger, and every every movement that you make is going to be that little bit easier on your body so and there's the metabolic effect as well which we did mention in terms of the body fat loss becomes body a whole lot changes. easier yep. yeah and body compositional changes i had a amazing result with an athlete who i mean it's just another reminder that there really are no barriers she's 72 that's awesome developed a strength program back in january uh for an ironman program to qualify for kona world championships Lots of injuries. It was up in the air whether that Ironman would even come together because of the history of injuries and inflammation. So she did a bod pod uh, metabolic test back in January and redid one last week. In that time, so what's that, eight months? Yeah. Has stayed exactly the same scale weight. So we were really none the wiser other than her performance benefits. She's put on five kilos of muscle mass and dropped 6% body fat at 72. Yeah. There's no reason why it can't happen at 72. It's just we're, we're told or we're, we kind of get funneled into that belief that we can't change when we get older. Oh, no, it's too late. Yeah. But, you know, as... And that's you know, in the presence of training 12, 15 hours of swim bike run. That's crazy. So, like, not yeah. stripping down that catabolic effect because the structure of the sessions was right. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. If we not broken a, down. Throw a different stimulus at the body. It's got an amazing way of, of adapting. Yeah. 
Talk to me about the difference from a programming and, and coaching point of view between your general tri training and your mm. long distance tri training. Honestly, it's actually more dependent on the person. Cool. Good answer. So it's more dependent on time availability, life stresses, kids, no kids, yep. work hours, general susceptibility to stress um, in terms of stress response and resiliency. Everyone um, can absorb it differently. <clears throat> That's probably the, the, the key factor. The other key difference in terms of how I program and our approach is that for the the long course guys, they would have 85 to 90% of their time zone two or below, so aerobic predominantly. And then the, the main difference if it was short course or general triathlon is just that they're going to have a bit more intensity in there and speed efforts yep. of that anaerobic work. That's honestly... That's it. That's Simple. it. Yeah, good. It doesn't have to be complicated and especially for an age grouper. If we were talking about elites, it would be very different. Yep. Cool, good answer. How, I think this is Jess Ryan's question, but how can your mindset and your athlete's mindsets affect health and training? Mm. And what are the main ways you see it being affected? It's everything in my eyes. You know, that's why I like my athletes to communicate what's going on in their life because their training needs to be adapted accordingly. Yeah. Let's say they've got uh, an increased work demand or stress. Their training intensity or volume should be decreased because there's an extra stress demand and same with mindset if someone's feeling low or anxious that is absolutely going to impact how they are they feeling training or how they respond as well but I do believe that mindset difficulties or troubles or whatever are part of it and that adversity builds better athletes. So I don't shy away from it. Don't try and go, oh, gotta move, gotta fix that. Yeah, have the day off or yeah. let, let's try and fix the problem. It's just like being aware of how you feel and what you're feeling and, and then allowing yourself to deal with it in the best way you can. It's acceptance, it's noticing. Okay, yeah. I know I'm feeling a bit anxious. What do I need to change? Yeah. And to have the power to not have to change if you like straight yeah. away, and to be able to kind of write it out and and deal with it. Um, yeah, let really let yourself feel what your body needs you to feel. Yeah. Don't push it away or fight it away, and that's a really great strategy um, in terms of race psychology as well. Rather than trying to block out pain or pretend the pain doesn't exist. Yeah. Embrace it. Embrace it. Literally embrace the pain. And I remember going to my first half Ironman was when I first experienced needles and injury and was just plagued and it didn't really improve from there on in. And I hadn't run for six weeks. It was absolutely a a question mark as to whether I'd even start the run or finish it. And it was all going to come down to my mind. And I remember... It was about 10k. I got the first into the run of 21. I got the first sign of knee pain. I was like, wow, I haven't run further than 2k. This is awesome. And when I felt it, I had the strategy. I was like, all right, pain, welcome to the party. Let's do this. Show (laughs) me what you've got. And I didn't feel it. So the next 10k, crossed the finish line and couldn't walk properly. But that's the power of the mind. And yeah, if you can implore those 
tactics of life just day to day when you come up against challenges in a race or a game it's much easier to default to okay cool i've been here before i know just to take this on board and run with it yeah rather than panicking and running around with it like yeah Mm. she with his head cut off yeah a big concern with anyone doing it most people doing a triathlon whether they're beginner or advanced is often the swim and they panic themselves and they psychologically ruin themselves and they get in their own way Reality is, it's a bit of a shitstorm at yeah. the start. There's hundreds yeah. of people and arms and elbows flailing around. You're going to get hit. You're going to get whacked. Yeah. And it's about not worrying about that and just accepting that it's going to happen and ideally practice getting kicked and whacked <laughs> in training, which builds your resilience. But it's more about your mental approach to that. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember Maddie's question as we were walking upstairs? Yes. How do you keep going when you're in the middle middle of a race or middle of a run and you just can't, you, in your head you're going, I can't do this anymore? My belly just did backflips because that's a really, um, that's a really strong one for me. And that's, this is where I think my skill of mental fortitude in racing comes into it because of hardships and adversity and everything that I've faced in life and in triathlon, it makes those moments easier because I've had battles before and I've overcome them and there's all this evidence. So I draw on the evidence, that's one thing. And I draw on the emotion of failure and talk myself through what it would look like if I didn't push through pain or adversity in this moment. If I was to pull back right now and miss my goal by two minutes, what would future Katie think of that? That's usually... That's heavy. That's good. ...a big one. Yeah. I remember uh, end of my Ironman, again, I'd gone in uh, injured. This is not my story anymore. (laughs) I will not say that ever again. Uh, I'd gone in injured, again, hadn't run much. I think my longest was 10K and I have to run 42 off the bike. So, again, a big question whether I finish. Uh, A knee, a meniscal issue in the knee. So... I was banking on at least getting 10k pain free. 2k it kicks in. I was like, oh crap, what yeah. am I going to do? I get through one lap of four and I chat, I stop at the fence to adjust my knee and fix pain and chat to Mick and someone was standing next to him and I was like, oh, I think I should just pull out. I don't, like if I've already got pain now, how am I going to do this? And they said, you can walk a marathon in under seven hours. I was like, Right, goal switch, let's do yeah. this. And my brain just went. And, of course, I didn't walk the whole thing. I did jog walk. I yep. even bloody ran backwards. And I became <laughs> this hero on the course where there was this cheer squad that kept yelling at me, run backwards, run backwards. <laughs> I became this, I don't know, entertainment. Yeah. And I made friends with this uh, seven-year-old guy that was my guide. So he would, uh, I'd be facing him running backwards and he'd tell me if I needed to move left or right. And yep. So I didn't trip over anything. So it became fun. And then... The last lap I ran most of it, but I don't. I blocked out a lot of the pain. I remember a lot of the pain. My other knee, my good knee, had gone by this point, and yeah. the emotion of what I was about to do was hitting me, and it's hitting me now. And I had three k to go, and I was hobbling, and yeah, I just kept saying to myself, "This is for all the bullshit. This is for everything you've been through." Yeah. And I ran so freaking fast, but then I think two hundred meters from the finish line, when the red carpets comes in and I slowed down yeah, that's fair, that's fair, that's <laughs> and amazing. I I soaked it in and I absorbed it and it was phenomenal and that's what keeps driving me now that that's feeling awesome. yeah it's not the success it's the 
thought of failure and, and not want to look, let yourself down. Future Kate, it's me. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Success drives me, but it's a bit of both. It's more about loss of opportunity to express my potential. Yeah, that would yeah. disappoint me. A question for you, and I want a really short answer. And I know there's a lot of context, and yeah. you know, it depends on the athlete and things like that. But if you meet an athlete in the street, what advice would you give them? Learn the difference between slowing down and calming down. Ooh, good. It's elite. All right. What do you wish all athletes knew about hormones? All people, all humans. They provide you with really important messages to listen to. Yeah, yeah, go deeper. Hormone imbalance shows up in symptoms and we need to listen to those symptoms because it plays a role in long-term health but also performance. And I would like athletes and everyday people to respect hormones rather than fight them and acknowledge that there are ebbs and flows and work with that rather than fight against it. Yeah. Acknowledge how you're feeling and, and adjust accordingly. How, as a collective, can we all improve our endocrine function? So what are the steps you'd suggest someone go through? Legs up the wall after every training session. <laughs> good, good. With belly breathing. No pre-workout. <laughs> That's something we don't don't encounter anymore, which is good. Yeah, which yeah. Is good. But yeah. Yeah, so different breathe, world. Breathe. Cro- 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 breathe. Yeah, breathe, belly breathe. Yep. Meditate. Mindfulness. And, yeah. you know, that... The word meditation has an interesting connotation for people. They sort of goes over their head. They don't absorb it. But yeah. really, it, it can be moving mindfulness while you could yeah. do it while walking the dogs. You could while you're waiting for a doctor's appointment. You don't have to sit in the corner cross-legged yeah. with incense burning. Yeah. And tried that. Got like eight days into a twelve-day day trial. And like I, can't I actually anymore. never followed up with you on no, that one. Yeah. I st- I'm just like no, I'm done. Yeah. But I've found other ways to to do that. Mindfulness, it's, like it's moments. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yoga, going for mm-hmm. a walk, you know, doing my mopes downstairs with some chilled out music. music. On. That, that's my meditation time. Yeah, and for an endocrine um, point of view, where mm. you spend most of your time, set that environment up, environment up to be calm. So if you spend most of your time in your office, look at the sort of light source that you've got. That's a stress. The the music, the um, temperature the toxins, whatever it is, they're all endocrine um, disruptors. And so if you can minimise those, that's going to help your function and system as well. Sleep's obviously imperative. It's also about sleep hygiene and quality. It's not just about hours, you know. What do you mean by sleep hygiene? Hygiene, so it's the habits before you go to bed, getting off screens and blue light. And if you... Let's say I was doing a presentation and I was going to be under bright lights and in front of computer screens. Um, There are, like, glasses you can get that are blue light blockers. They're coming out in a more fashionistic style (laughs) these days. The old ones look like tradie glasses, like you're about to get on a um, a grinder. And there's um, apps you can install on your devices and your computer one's yep. called flux f dot lux yeah to reduce the blue light and if you've got an iphone just the night, night mode, mode. Like yeah it's super simple turning off phones or do not have phones in bedrooms um 
it's about breathing your legs up the wall before bed because okay. if cortisol is high before sleep, melatonin can't increase or struggles to increase. Yeah. And without melatonin, we don't get to those deep stages of sleep. Without deep stages of sleep, we don't get restorative sleep. So you're essentially wasting your time. Yeah, you're waking up tired. Yeah, and just groggy. Vicious cycle repeats itself. You're not yeah. sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk all day about we hormones and, and <laughs> we could talk all day about nutrition and gut health and things like that. But I want a little, you know, a little bit of take on both of those two things. What are the cool things you've learned about gut health in the last couple of years? Because I guess it's something that we're starting to to get a little bit deeper into the research mm. and starting to see a little bit more applicable research and things that we can actually do to improve it. The biggest thing is that your gut health and your gut microbiome dictate your mental health. Which is mind-blowing. <laughs> Literally. 80% of serotonin <laughs> is made in the gut. Yeah. And I think that's phenomenal. And that's where I get a bit of a bean in my bonnet about... <laughs> the quick response to medication without a consideration for gut and nutrition. Yeah. You know, when we're looking at health, again, back to that word, it has to be holistic. It's never going to be one thing that quote-unquote fixes someone. Yeah. And so, yeah, I see that uh, gut, poor gut health leading to poor recovery in athletes, uh, quick to get sick or poor immunity. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm a teacher, it's just a guaranteed, I'm around kids all the time, I'm going to get sick. That definitely yeah. doesn't have to be the case. Yeah. If you're getting sick more than twice a year, something isn't quite right. If you're fatigued all the time. That's the other thing for um, females as well, that your gut health will also impact your hormones therefore going to impact how you feel your pms your fertility yeah it's phenomenal it's a vicious cycle but also guys it's your sperm quality so if you want happy healthy little tackers running around like guys have to focus on just as much on their gut health and fertility that's a whole nother topic as, as women yeah how can we figure out if we've got good gut health or not pay attention <laughs> pay attention to stool movements Pay attention to the form, the colour. There's a if you Google the Bristol stool chart, uh, basically you want to focus on sitting somewhere in the middle of that chart and noticing changes in that, and look back at what you've eaten recently and how that impacts you. Pay attention to bloating. Be present in what you're putting in your body. Chew, <laughs> chew your food, and stop and breathe. Step away from the desk. Try not Guilty. to eat on the go. Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness, as a personal trainer, I'll never forget. I did a lot of mobile. I would like be making a oh, I'm cringing uh, a rice cracker turkey avocado thing <laughs> while driving and yeah. eating it on the way between clients yeah. it was just silly yeah. Um, so yeah paying attention to symptoms if you get tired and lethargic after you eat that's an indication that your digestive enzymes probably aren't up to scratch and you can't absorb that nutrients and that's where the, the whole term or the word healthy to me doesn't mean much it means something different to everyone it's a big blanket term there's so many different aspects of health someone can eat quote unquote healthy and be in very poor health Yeah. and yeah. that comes down to their gut and yes. how they're absorbing nutrients or if they've got a, a dysbiosis or a, uh, an imbalance in gut flora and that was actually a really, you asked the question of what's the coolest thing I've learned about gut is the levels of a coli will impact melatonin therefore you sleep yeah it's just, but people look at things and go, well, my diet's good, so everything else should be good. But it comes, uh, we use a, a 10 scale wellness chart, which is, let's see if I reel them off, which is just movement, nutrition, hydration, 
stress, it's relationships because obviously that can be a big source of stress. It's sleep quality, sleep quantity, energy levels. I think I'm missing one, but anyway, it's it's all of those things because they're kind of the ten things we've identified as where most people can can fall off. And if you're hitting a seven and eight and nine for most of them, and then there's two or three things that are one or two. And that's going to put off everything else and that's going to stop you from an athletic potential point of view it's going to stop you from reaching those things that you want to reach and from a health and happiness and um, yeah relaxation point of view it's going to stop you from being able to get into those into that nice happy headspace mm. and yeah I think too many people will just go one factor and they go health or leather and they go super super deep into one factor but they don't look at the other things they've yeah. got the, there's no need to be one they've thing. got the blinders on biggest takeaway there will never be one solution. Where do you get all your information from? What's your... How do you learn and grow and improve? Mostly mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely people. Why are your mentors so important? I wouldn't be where I am without them. Good. 100%. Yeah. It's having enough humility. I will never know everything. Yeah. I, I, I just never will. And it, I'm very motivated by education and always seeking solutions and that's where again athletes teach me things they'll present a case to me or something yeah, that's and going you have on to go down a rabbit hole and learn about something and i love and that speak to speak to the people around you yeah it's their stories and their experiences that shape my education and common themes also shape my education and what i seek out in mentors you yeah. know if, if there's common theme coming up with athletes that there's something that they're struggling with or I'm hearing or questions that I'm getting or I'm seeing things in the industry that frustrate me I'm like right that's where I need to focus my attention awesome. without trying to do it all at once that's my probably my biggest <laughs> yeah. thing yeah. yeah I don't understand that at all <laughs> where, where do you see or where would you like to see your industry going in the next 5-10 years what changes and what improvements would you like to see happen I'd like to see a change in the development pathway. So for juniors into elite, with a more encompassing view of educating around functional movement, mobility, immunity, gut health, nutrition, hormones, particularly for female athletes. The dropout rate of female high-performance athletes of 18, 19 is huge. Yeah. And that is, that's usually when there's a massive hormonal change going on and they either come out of it or they don't yeah. and they fall out of the sport and that's really disappointing to me yeah. I want to see a big change in that area second to that is age groupers I want to hear less stories of burnout infertility hormone imbalance struggle depression etc yeah. I understand that endurance sports are very attractive to help fight demons that's why I do it that's one of my biggest whys yeah but it becomes a problem when the sport creates those demons. It's burning them out or it's having a physiological response that's causing that ill mental health. There's definitely a difference there. And I'd like to see that prevented or, or decreased. And then a shift in the culture is you always have competition and an ego and that's healthy at times. Yeah. But perhaps more athletes recognising it that doesn't have to be on all the time at every session <laughs> yeah. particularly in warm ups and cool downs just not necessary <laughs> you don't have to race in a warm up um, yeah train to race not the yeah. other way around yeah I like it alright I've got Greg's question mm. did you read it? yeah good 
From whom, if anyone, do you draw inspiration from and why, particularly in quiet moments when no one is asking? Mm. It's a big question. (laughs) It's a huge question. I thought about it after I saw it this morning quite a lot. And there's some key people, a couple I've mentioned today. Uh, That coach, um, unfortunately, he passed away in December. So his legacy... uh, really inspires me and helps me carry on because at his memorial service it was ingrained in me that to be a coach and to coach is a massive privilege and sometimes when athletes are frustrating you and not listening that can be hard to remember so oh yeah (laughs) that's a massive inspiration and the other person is my brother um all my drive and a-type perfectionism is the complete opposite to him and he provides that inspiration of balance coming back to nature and adventure and fun and laughter that I deeply need in my life. Yep. Um, unfortunately, he's over the other side of the world, so see that's hard. Weeks. I do see him in T-3 weeks. That's exciting. Yeah, so they're the big ones. And um, honestly, the other one was me and my experiences because... Mm-hmm. I've been through a shitstorm and I've come out the other side many of times yep. and I have to be my own cheerleader with that. Awesome. I've got a bunch of questions for you. You can be as succinct or as long-winded as you like. First one, if you could have a billboard over the top of Monash Freeway, what would it have on it? Are you ready to achieve your athletic potential holistically? <laughs> Good. With a little logo in the corner. Yeah. And a Virtus logo on the other side. <laughs> yeah. At least heavy. Legs up the wall after. <laughs> Good. What is success to you? Changing people's lives while feeling abundantly happy within myself. Awesome. Has that changed over the last six, seven years? 100%. <laughs> Uh, seven years, I would have said a, a dollar for you. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. It's awesome. Do you have any morning rituals? Yeah, mainly uh, walking the dogs and getting in my almond latte. How do you milk an almond? With <laughs> a nut bag. <laughs> shit, shout out to Caleb, who brings us all the coffees. If you could give teenage Katie one piece of advice, what would it be? Boy, oh boy. Stay true to yourself. Awesome. Don't be misguided by other people trying to pull you off the tracks. Awesome. In nightclubs. <laughs> In nightclubs. <laughs> What's the last book you read start to finish and what did you learn from it? Uh, oh, I quite a few. I'm trying to remember the last, last one. I'm pretty sure it was Siri Lindy's uh, autobiography, who is one of the greatest triathlon coaches and greatest world triathlete athletes going around. And the other reason she's pretty remarkable is there's not many female coaches at that top end, and she coaches the best of the best in the Ironman world. So her autobiography was uh, really inspirational, great messages, and it was this reminder that, yeah, I put her on this pedestal in the industry of how amazing she is and I get very, very um, starstruck around her. Yeah. Uh, 
the end of the day, I am her, she is me. I'm no different. I have every opportunity to do what she has done. That's cool. Must be, yeah, it'd be cool to have someone to kind of look at and, and see that they're just another person, but at the same time see what they've done and, and kind of give you an idea of the path. Mm. There's a but, few female coaches paving that way, but it's a, it's a massive minority. What's the nicest thing you've ever done with someone? Where this is a tough question. Everyone yeah. gets stuck on this question. It's always interesting. It's, I feel like it's a combination of little things. Yeah. It's my nature to hold people. Whether that's metaphorically, I don't need to be around them. Yeah. But I think deeply. It's, again, blessing and a curse about people and life and so perhaps the nicest things or the greatest things I've done for people they wouldn't even know about that's cool I like that yeah I might be walking with the dogs down the beach looking at the ocean thinking about someone going through a struggle or a great for time and sending them some sort of message or vibe and sort of strength or yeah. communicating something out there awesome what are you grateful for so many things I'm actually I am I am grateful for the struggle good too many people probably don't look at it as something that to be grateful for I wouldn't know what I know I wouldn't have come across the people I've come across and I wouldn't value life the way I do awesome if you could give everyone in the world one personality trait what would it be couple of favourites to finish off first thing that comes into your head favourite movie can't answer it I'm oh, useless I sleep through them <laughs> uh, traditionally it's been Blood Diamond but I haven't watched it for a long time Rupert movie favourite artist recording artist Whoa, so go- many what are your go to tracks Ben Howard good favourite resource New information or... Podcasts. Yeah, good. <laughs> Favourite podcast? Uh-oh. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a big list. Yeah. <laughs> Too many. Cool. Yeah. Favourite hobby? Again, too many. It would be, in general, adventure. Awesome. Adventure in nature. Good. Favourite quote? Don't know if it's my favourite. It's the first thing that comes to mind. We suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. Awesome on the wall out there I love it it's really cool thank you very much thank you that was awesome hopefully people got something out of it Mm. and I'm sure we'll do another one if people want us to yeah we'll go more into the science and the hormone stuff because I know the ladies and even the guys want to know more about that yeah we will have a seminar on Mm, hormone function and exercise advertis at some point so keep your eyes peeled for that but Katie thanks for coming thank you see ya Thank you very much for listening, team. Uh, If you would like to hear more about Katie, you can search Holistic Endurance on any of the social medias 
or on Google's and you'll be able to find our website. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share or subscribe. Um, uh, Yeah, that's pretty much it. Have a wonderful day.